Hello everyone. Based on last week's conversation with Professor Simha and Professor Jairam, we decided to look into the life and works of some of the most influential people whose names you keep hearing and reading about in this course on mechanical behavior of materials. It's important for us to realize these their lives and works and also that the seminal contributions came from people who were not unidimensional they couldn't be caged and they took up pioneering efforts in many major areas where they foresaw potential problems so some of their fascinating tales will be covered in the following few podcasts today i will be talking about vito volterra whose name you have already heard in the volterra's construction of dislocations my sources are mainly from ams.org and wikipedia so vito volterra was born in ancona into a very poor jewish family but his mathematical skills let's say prodigal skills uh, were recognized early on and he was very much influenced by enrico betti when he attended the university of pisa his first seminal paper was on the potential of an ellipsoid published in 1881 when he was barely the age of 21 and his life ended with a paper on hereditary elasticity published between 1930 to 40 when he was nearly 80 This shows how active he was throughout his life from the 20s to his 80s. The original presentation of ideas and discoveries are fascinating to read and it became the basis for a great part of modern mathematical research. I'm linking up the English translation of his work on dislocations well known as Volterra's construction which is titled as on the equilibrium of multiply connected elastic bodies it's worth taking a look at volterra is credited with single handedly developing the theory of functionals as a generalization of the idea of a function of several independent variables this was inspired by the problems of calculus of variations in developing this theory Volterra followed a principle which guided him through many discoveries and which he called the passage from the discrete to the continuous. He applied this to celebrated researches on integral equations of Volterra's type. His procedure opened the way for Fredholm and Hilbert as well. Around the same time in 1892 He published a series of fundamental memoirs on the integration of hyperbolic equations especially concerning the equation of cylindrical waves. But what fascinated him more was the concept of multi-valued functions and this is what makes it interesting for us. In 1892 he gave a final solution to the problem of wave propagation from a center in a doubly refracting medium. In another domain He showed the importance of many-valued functions by developing the theory of dislocations in elastic solids which occupy multiply connected regions of space. In this case the displacements may be 
viewed as many valued functions while the stress remains single valued remember that the first set of actual dislocations in crystalline solids was only imaged much later in the 1950s and i want you to look it up till that it remained only a mathematical construct or concept A considerable part of Volterra's work was on the application of mathematics to biology. His main subject of study was biological associations of animals of different species living together. He was interested in a mathematical theory of the survival of the fittest, basically quantifying Darwin's work. He is also the only person distinguished as a plenary speaker in the International Congress of Mathematics four times. Another interesting trivia is on the outbreak of World War 1 already well in his 50s he actually joined the Italian army and worked on the development of airships under Giulio Dulhet He originated the idea of using inert helium rather than the flammable hydrogen and made use of his leadership abilities in organizing its manufacture In 1922 he joined the opposition to the fascist regime of Benito Mussolini and in 1931 he was one of the only 12 out of the 1250 professors who refused to take a mandatory oath of loyalty to this regime his political philosophy can be seen in a postcard he sent in the 1930s on which he wrote empires die but euclid's theorems keep their youth forever volterra died in rome on the 11th of october 1940 why it was volterra who first conceptualized dislocations it was gi taylor roughly contemporarily with michael polanyi and egan orowan in 1934 who realized that the plastic deformation of ductile materials could be explained in terms of the theory of dislocations this insight was critical in developing the modern science of solid mechanics to realize how important dislocations are to materials one can think of a cubic meter of strained metal alloy do you know the number or the length of dislocation that it can contain well This can add up to a line length of up to 1 light year. In the 1940s and 50s, major advances were made by solid state physicists in the development of the theory of dislocations in crystals and its application to crystal growth phenomena and mechanical properties. Two important books were published, one in 1953 by A.H. Cottrell entitled Dislocations and Plastic Flow in Crystals and the other in 1954 by wt reed called dislocations in crystals the theoretical developments stimulated the search for techniques to observe dislocations directly under the microscope growth spirals were observed on the surface of crystals confirming frank's predictions of growth of crystals containing screw dislocations under low supersaturation conditions h pit techniques were developed that revealed the presence of dislocations intersecting the surface and these were used to check frank's formula for the dependence of misorientation at a low angle boundary on dislocation spacing 
another technique was preferential precipitation at dislocations as used for example by J.M. Hedges and J.W. Mitchell to reveal dislocation networks inside silver bromide. However, these techniques were rather limited in scope and not universally applicable. And for metals and alloys, dislocations could only be revealed at the surface. In fact, dislocation theory had far outstripped in complexity what could be experimentally observed. For example, dissociated dislocations had already been suggested by Heinreich and Shockley in 1948. And the reactions resulting in sessile dislocations, for example the loma cotral dislocations, had also been proposed. The lack of an experimental technique to check proposed theoretical models led to a plethora of dislocation models of mechanical properties. To quote Reed, it became the fashion to invent a dislocation theory of almost every experimental result in plastic deformation. Finally, it became apparent that dislocations could explain not only any actual result, but virtually any conceivable result, usually in several different ways. It was not surprising then that some metallurgists were rather skeptical of the relevance of dislocations in metallurgy. It was actually the arrival of a new generation of electron microscopes that made the observation of dislocations by TEM possible. J.W. Mentor, working at the Tube Investments Research Laboratories near Cambridge, realized that the resolution of the new Siemens Elmiscop-1 electron microscope was sufficient to resolve the crystal lattice in crystals with large unit cells and therefore potentially the distortion of the lattice planes close to the dislocation cores. This led him to produce in December 1955 and to publish in 1956 his beautiful end-on images of edge dislocations in platinum thalocyanine by direct resolution of the lattice plane spaced just 1.2 nanometers apart. Let that sink in. The approach taken by Hirsch and M.J. Wieland was quite different. They also used a Siemens Elmiscop-1 microscope in Coslet's group in the Cavendish laboratory in Cambridge, but revealed the dislocations by what is called as diffraction contrast. Now, diffraction is something you've all heard of in different contexts, of course. Wieland had access to the microscope, which was operated in collaboration with R.W. Horn from about October 1955. And during the next few months, studied beaten and subsequently annealed aluminium foil and observed inter alia regular dots along subgrain boundaries. There was uncertainty as to whether these were dislocations or moire patterns from overlapping misoriented crystals. The problem was resolved during a session on May 3, 1956, when the specimen was observed with double condenser illumination at 40,000 times its magnification. On removing the aperture, the dots and lines moved across the specimen, leaving pairs of parallel lines behind, which gradually faded. There was no doubt now that the static features previously observed were indeed dislocations, which now moved under the influence of local stress and left slip traces parallel to the projection of 111 planes. The work was published by Hirsch, Horn and Wielen in the July 1956 issue of the Philosophical Magazine. 
these and more information on imaging of dislocations through transmission electron microscopy is revealed by a paper by the laureate of Lomasov Grand Gold Medal, Professor P.B. Hirsch, and you can look it up online. Thank you.